0: morning turn with me to mark chapter 8 as we continue our study in the gospel of mark we are on verse 22 is there anything i can do to be less echoey caleb I'll just roll with it. Mark 8, 22 through 30. And they, Jesus and his disciples, came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples... Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Say it with me if you want. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Father God, you are the almighty, eternal, and merciful one. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Guide us, illuminate our hearts and our minds to more purely understand your word and to live according to it. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. How many Jeopardy fans do we have out there? Not too many. I, uh, huh. I've never been a huge fan traditionally, but uh, mostly because I feel like an idiot when I watch it. Maybe that was why the hands weren't going all the way. Um, but my dad watches it every night, and he's trying to get on the show. He like goes online and enters the you know, whatever, he does. And uh, he's hoping to get on it, and Wesley's really gotten into it because he's on the academic team at school, and so we watch it, and he, like, prepares, and it's always fun to go to those academic competitions because these kids are, like, rattling off stuff, and Kath and I look at each other, and have you ever heard of that? No, me either. Um, But if you watch Jeopardy!, you know... The phenomenon, just how cool it feels when you get the answer right, and because the contestants on TV have to wait till their clicker works, you know, it sounds like they're echoing you. So then you, you, it just is just a great feeling. All right, this man's son, nicknamed the Eaglet, was kidnapped on March 1st, 1931. This was from Monday. Who is Charles Lindbergh? Who is Charles Lindbergh? They say, and you feel brilliant. When you get it right. These guards of Azkaban feed on human happiness. How monstrous. What are dementors? What are dementors? I mean, everybody in my family knows that. Almost everybody. In an HBO miniseries, Paul Giamatti was the title character, a president born in the 1700s. Who is Thomas Jefferson? Who is John Adams? Oh. And then I feel like an idiot again. Okay. And then the geography and the periodic table questions, and I just pretend I'm texting because I have no clue. The Bible questions are fun. Sometimes they get them, but usually not. And so I'm like screaming, Ecclesiastes! Or Pontius Pilate! My kids are all like, calm down, Dad. Not going to help them. I like to get answers right. How about you? Whether it's Jeopardy! or school or Sunday school, or the waitress taking my order, I don't want to get it wrong, so, but, and I remember in middle school and high school, maybe you were like this, but I did not want to participate in class, I didn't want to say anything, unless I knew I was going to get the answer right, I might have, is it way down, oh, I, it's been like that the whole time, hasn't it, (laughs) not nervous, First time, first time for everything. (laughs) Keep that in Virginia. You didn't, seriously, you didn't hear any of that? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Where was I? Who knows? Let's just get into the passage. How about that? Um, Okay. So, today's passage... Jesus asks his class, his disciples, a very personal, very difficult question. And one of his disciples steps right up, steps forward, nails the answer. And it's not only a turning point for the disciples, or even the whole, for that disciple in particular, or the whole group of disciples, it's a turning point in the Gospel of Mark and an important event in Jesus' life and ministry. Um, So we actually have two stories, you've already heard them read, and they don't seem necessarily connected, other than the fact that they're both stories from Jesus' life, probably chronological. Uh, But look deeper, there is a thread that unites them. Last week we saw Jesus exasperated, by both the Pharisees who, they were, remember, they were asking him for a sign right after he had done this slew of miracles and feedings, right? Uh, but he's also exasperated by the disciples who are wondering. They, they get in the boat, and they only have one loaf of bread, and they're like, how are we going to get enough to eat? You know, right after Jesus fed 4,000 people with seven loaves. Hmm, no idea. So Jesus needs... These groups, particularly the second one, to see what he's doing in their midst. But both groups are incapable. But there's hope in today's passage. So the first five verses, let me read them again, show us what Jesus can do. Jesus' abilities, what he does. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees, walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him, home to, his, uh, he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village." So two weeks ago we saw Jesus restore healing and speech to a deaf man with a severe speech impediment and if you were to kind of put those back to back there's a lot of parallels between the two accounts we've also had all kinds of uh, demons cast out leprosy removed paralytics healed but this is the first blind man that we've encountered in the gospel of Mark it's interesting that This is the only miracle, I believe, that Jesus performs that seems to only work partly at first. For some reason, Jesus laid his hands on the man twice before his sight was completely restored. After the first time, Jesus spits in his eyes. The man can only see blurry images. Uh, People look like trees. and, And obviously this man was not blind from birth or he wouldn't be able to decipher what he was seeing. But then verse 25 says that Jesus laid hands on him, and his eyes again, and his sight is completely restored. And I think it's interesting that Mark recorded this detail, that it takes two tries. Did Jesus just forget to pray that morning? Was his mojo not working? What's going on here? I don't I don't think it's any of those things. I think Jesus restored the man's sight in two stages on purpose. And there are a number of ways to see that parallels in our spiritual lives with this half-sight. The first area I see is, is in our salvation. When people come to faith in Christ, it is often a gradual journey. We don't understand everything at first. We see partly. We begin to have some truths come into focus but it's a while before we get the whole picture and we know enough to follow Jesus. Two, biblical revelation. The progression of this man's sight mirrors how the old and new testaments reveal Jesus and reveal God. People in the old testament understood God's ways to a point as he had revealed them but it was fuzzy. Right? They didn't have the full revelation. Jesus is alluded to. He's foreshadowed. The people know that they need a substitute to die for their sins. But they aren't given everything. After Jesus comes, the full revelation of who God is and what he was doing appeared. So, The New Testament presents the clear vision of God and his salvation. But Paul says, still our knowledge is not full. And so the third area would be that knowledge where we contrast what we know here on earth with heaven. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. God has only revealed so much to us While we're on earth, when we get to heaven, we will see things clearly and know things fully. But fourth, the most immediate parallel and application and probably what Mark is showing by placing this story right here is that the disciples have blurry vision and understanding that is about to come in to sharp focus. And so the next four verses show us who Jesus is. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. I think Jesus asks the first question. Who do people, others, the crowds, who who do they say that I am? Maybe he's just trying to be amused by the responses. He Certainly knows he's going to ask the follow-up question. What about your opinion? What about you? And we've heard this list of who the crowd thinks Jesus is back in chapter 6 surrounding Herod's understanding of who Jesus was. Uh, People had theorized that Jesus was a prophet, right? Whether a new prophet in the long line of prophets or maybe a specific one, risen from the dead, Elijah from 800 years ago, or John the Baptist from very recently. And, of course, Herod in his guilty conscience says, oh, It's John coming back for his revenge on me. And if you think about it, that's how a lot of religions see Jesus, probably a lot of people. Yeah, he was a prophet, special guy, had some kind of spiritual anointing and knowledge. They have a reverence for Jesus that says, yeah, he's a great prophet, but that's all he is. We're not going to go any farther than that. That's not Christianity, obviously. That's not how Jesus presented himself ever. Calling Jesus Elijah may have sounded like high praise because Elijah was greatly revered. But it doesn't go far enough. When Peter speaks up, uh, apparently answering for the whole group, uh, notice that he doesn't say, well, we've we've been talking, took a poll, tried to figure it out. Most of us are of the opinion that you might Be the Christ figure. No, he steps up. You are the Christ with a great certainty. Christ is not a last name. I hope you know that. It's a title. It means anointed one. In the Jewish mind, it was the promised one, the Messiah, the king who was to come. And so Peter says this. And Mark's, gospel just ends this section, this passage, uh, with Jesus saying his comment, hey, hey, just keep this quiet, right? It's kind of what he just told the, the blind man, don't even go to the village. He's been telling people left and right, just don't tell anyone. There's a lot more recorded in Matthew's gospel. And so it makes you wonder, the source behind Mark's gospel, remember, is Peter. And so maybe there's some humility here. Because in Matthew's gospel, Peter gets praised. Uh, In Matthew 16, 17, right after he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then there's a longer dialogue about the rock on which Jesus will build his church. And so without going into that conversation too much, let's just say that Peter nailed it. Peter had the right answer. Do you want Jesus to say that you are blessed? Then know who he is and proclaim it. doesn't matter what the prevailing opinion of the crowd is. It doesn't matter what the spirit of the age has decided about Jesus. What matters is who you believe Jesus to be. Really, how the scriptures present him, who he teaches himself to be. Sometimes people will say something like this. It doesn't matter, it doesn't really matter who Jesus actually was, right? It just matters that you follow the gentle spirit of his teachings. That is total bunk. Don't listen to that. Jesus was not God incarnate, which he claimed to be over and over again. Then don't take any of his teachings Reject it all as lies. All of Christianity is bound up with the factual truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, fully God and fully man. And so, even as Jesus tells them to keep it quiet and until after his resurrection, it reminds us that the time is coming, says Philippians 2 10 and 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It will not be a secret. It will be the greatest and most obvious truth in the universe on that day. Did you figure out what the thread that unites these two stories is? People's eyes are opened by God. First physical eyes, then spiritual eyes. Just as the blind man was made to see, so the disciples are able to see. Right? Back in verse 18 that Frank preached on last week, Jesus had lamented the disciples. Not understanding. Having eyes do you not see. But now the truth is getting through to them. It's been revealed to them. They understand. To see Jesus as just a man is to have blurry vision, blurry sight of the blind man halfway through the miracle. But to see Jesus as God and man is to have full sight, to know the truth of his identity. I hope that no matter what you remember about my time here, at Potomac Hills, that all the memories that we share, I hope that most of all you will remember that I pointed you to Jesus. Not always perfectly, maybe not always my first instinct or piece of advice, uh, but if I didn't say it when you needed to hear it then, I'm saying it now. You need Jesus more than anything in your life. You need him more than you need health or success or significance or, or leaving some kind of legacy You need his love more than you need the love of your spouse or your kids or your parents. You need Jesus for salvation. You need Jesus for eternal life after you die and for abundant life here on earth. If you think there's some key to life or to religion that doesn't include Jesus being the God-man, the Christ, the Messiah who lived a perfect life and died in your place so that you could be saved, you are going to be missing the point. All the scriptures point toward the cross and the empty grave of Jesus as the climax of all of history. So it all comes down to who do you say that Jesus is? I don't care what other people think about Jesus, what the crowds have come up with, whether they think he's a historical figure or a myth, whether they think he's a helpful guru that, who I can learn from, if, if he agrees with me, or an out-and-out con artist, fraud, whether they think he's a tragic hero who should have known better than to cross Jerusalem and Israel uh, or if they think he's a Gandhi like figure who should inspire us all to have, live beautiful and peaceful lives, those are what people who don't know Jesus think about him. But Colossians 1, from our responsive reading, presents a different Jesus, the true Jesus. Let me hit those high points again the image of the invisible God, all things created through him and for him. He is the head of the church, the fullness of God, reconciling, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Those of us who have been effectually called by the Holy Spirit, who have had our hearts regenerated and faith given to us as a gift, declared just and righteous before our heavenly father because of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf and adopted into his eternal family. We embrace that because God has given us sight. I once was lost but now I'm found but was blind but now I see. Thank you Lord. I want to read something together. It's the Ligonier Ministries Statement on Christology. I'm going to put it up on the screen. I just wanted to sum up and give us an answer to this question. Who do you say that I am? Can you guys see it in the back? Good. Let's say it together. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son created all things, sustains all things, and makes all things new. Truly God, he became truly man. Two natures in one person. He was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us, crucified, dead, and buried. He rose on the third day, ascended to heaven, and will come again in glory and judgment. For us, he kept the law, atoned for sin, and satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. He is our prophet, priest, and king, building his church, interceding for us, and reigning over all things. Jesus Christ is Lord. We praise his holy name forever. Amen. And now, since it is only 1030, we've got an hour and a half, according to that clock. Um. Let me pray and close out the sermon part, but I've got a few more things. So don't don't bring the kids back yet. Lord God, thank you for this scripture that shows us that you open eyes physically, but more importantly, you open our spiritual eyes. Lord, without your revelation, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit calling us, giving us new hearts and new natures, we would be lost and blind. We would not be able to answer who Jesus is correctly, but you give us the answer. You reveal to us that Jesus is fully God And fully man. Part of the eternal trinity. Always. Existing. The alpha and omega. And Jesus is. The key to our salvation. Lord. Whatever we. Believe in life. Remind us. That this is the most important truth. Help us to never. Fall away fully understanding and believing. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now's my chance to get you people back for all those amazing thanks and tributes that you gave us last week. We were seriously overwhelmed from the thanks and the kind words, the song, the slideshow, the memory book, the cake, everything. Um, I actually hope to meet that guy that you guys were talking about. These memories, these letters, sounds amazing. I am just a goofball who tries to show up to work and do my job. I was seriously expecting a roast, so (laughs) getting a toast, that's cool. Um, So I would love to be able to name everybody that's been part of uh, making this such a great place, but that would take too long. Um, Caleb, do the Academy Award thing with the music if I use up my time limit, but um, here goes. I I really can't believe that it's been 18 years. It's just astounding. I came to, I mean, Dave told the story last year, but when we came to Potomac Hills Community Church, as it was called back in 2002, uh, you know, we brought our two-year-old Miles and Kath was pregnant with Wesley and... Um, The two churches I had served in South Florida had not lasted very long, and so we were anxious to find a church where we could really invest and put down roots, and I kept telling everybody, it's got to be like 10 years or more, because these two- and three-year gigs are just wearing me out. Um, So, I mean, Dave talked last week about how they really needed this youth and worship pastor, and I fit that, but you know what, the church was such a great fit for us. It was exactly what we needed. I I really didn't know where I fit in ministry, but it had some like radically, if you've heard my stories, just the two churches I'd worked at were so different. And Potomac Hills was exactly what we needed, where it had this strong leadership and so biblical and organized and orthodox and all of that, but also so loving and outreach and missions. And it was just exactly what we needed and um, it just I think from the very beginning they said we want you to use your gifts and we want you to be you which was huge like the serious me and the goofy me it was perfect. Um, so the first 10 years that I was the youth pastor were just a wonderful decade. I, I often miss the, uh, the youth ministry but I'm so glad that we've continued to have a thriving youth ministry Um, so whether we were meeting at the office, I don't know if you know that we met at the office, all crammed in there, didn't have as many kids, um, but it was, or if we were going on a retreat or mission trip, studying the Bible or playing spoons, um, I just loved investing in the life of our youth and college students. Um, I appreciated all the leaders who ministered with me, we had a great team, um, particularly at the end. Uh, It's been a treat to see the students, too, grow into adults, get married, have kids of their own. That's been really great. Um, I am so grateful for a wonderful staff that I've gotten to serve alongside and all the pastors who have come through. But uh, definitely Dave has encouraged and mentored me every step of the way. He's put up with my crazy ideas, my uh, youthful naivete and optimism. And uh, you've influenced my preaching and leadership more than you'll know. So, for the record, uh, no matter what we say in staff meeting, Frank is not the worst. That's what we say in staff meeting. But um, <laughs> Frank and Andrea are the best. And uh, I don't think either one of them's in here. So I threatened a to toast, but a uh, roast. Um, this church is really fortunate to have the staff that it does. And now Tom and Eli, man, you guys, you guys are going to be a great team leading the music. I'm grateful for the past and the current elders and deacons who have led this church through the years. Uh, you've had my back no matter what, and I call you some of the closest friends in my life, not just in this church. Um, I'm grateful for all those who've been part of the music team, the mission trips, youth ministry, uh, event planning, anybody that's helped out with any area of ministry that I've done. That's been just a joy. Thank you for using your gifts, first of all, in partnering in ministry, but also developing deep friendships and not keeping me at arm's length as like the spiritual guy who you can't get to know. I've I've really appreciated that. And uh, I think it's pretty clear that it's not just me that's thrived at this church. My family has just done great. I think my wife, Really appreciates not being lonely like a lot of pastors' wives. Um, she's been embraced, uh, cared for in so many ways. Uh, three of our four kids were baptized here, and this is all they've known. And um, obviously, they, they love the youth group, they love coming to Sunday school and youth group, but I think that they really feel loved by the adults of this church as well. And they have learned the Bible um, mostly because they've been taught it strongly every Sunday of their lives from you. So, so so we leave feeling loved, supported, and profoundly thankful. Potomac Hills has been and will always be almost two decades of our lives that we'll remember with great joy. And love. And I know that God will bless both Potomac Hills and Center Point church as we strive to teach his word and praise and glorify him and make jesus known to this generation as the music team comes up and rescues me um we're going to close our time singing uh the keith and kristen getty song jesus is lord and i just want you to reflect on the words um don't have to say um, i want you to connect back to the sermon because it really is about jesus jesus is lord his voice sustains the stars and planets in his wisdom laid aside his crown jesus the man who washed our feet bore our suffering became a curse to bring salvation's plan jesus is lord the tomb is gloriously empty The price is paid, the chains are loosed, we're forgiven. Every eye, every heart will see his glory. The judge of all will take his children home. Let's sing that together.